Yes. And if you find yourself currently not in a life group, you can sign up for one on the patio today. We've done that for you. If you're, maybe your group just kind of stopped meeting or maybe it just uh, it doesn't meet on the night that you can meet anymore, we want you connected. We believe that it, life is better together, and today is a great opportunity to sign up and get into a group on the patio, and then you can serve together in the stuff that Monica's talking about, and it's a beautiful thing. I'm Caleb. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are in a series called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And we've been talking about confusing things, controversial things uh, that Jesus said that make us pause and wonder, what? And today we have another one of those for you. Here is the line that you could say, perhaps, I wish Jesus never said. It's from John chapter 9, verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world. So that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And you're like, Jesus, what? Why did you say that? Okay, so Jesus, by you saying that, the, the judgment word that you came in uh, for judgment into this world, that is going to give ammo to the people that go down on the pier and hold the big signs and shout turn or burn at people. Jesus, is that really what you meant? Is that what you were saying? Because when people take it out of context, they can do crazy stuff like that. When they take a verse like this, they can justify in their minds yelling at people and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, turn, Jesus judges you. But... We'll see in the context that Jesus used this statement, said this statement, it makes a whole lot more sense and means something quite different, maybe even than what you would expect this morning. I want to tell you the context of that statement. It's in the book of John, chapter 9. John was a friend of Jesus. He was a close friend of Jesus. He followed Jesus for a long time. He was in the inner circle. He watched what Jesus did. He heard what Jesus said, and he recounted stories from Jesus' life and ministry, and he did it differently than the other three guys, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They were more chronological, more detailed in the how things played out, but John went a different direction. He told a different kind of narrative of Jesus' ministry, and in chapter 9, he tells us this really important story. You ready? John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the disciples wanted to know an answer to a question. Now, this is a question that had plagued good Jewish boys and girls for a long time. This is a question that seminary people sat around discussing. Religious people would sit around debating. If a kid is born blind, whose fault is it? Now, you have to understand that in that day and age, people believed that if something like that had happened to you, if you were born with a handicap, blind, something like that, or that it even happened in the course of your life, there was an assumption by religious people that it was your fault, that you had it coming, that this was a consequence of some kind of sin. There are a lot of people that still operate that way today. And so they're asking him, okay, Jesus, there's a debate 
The question is, if you're born blind, is it your sin, like you screwed up as a fetus? (laughs) Or is it the parent's sin, and this poor kid just bears the brunt of it? And people have debated about that for a long time. And here's Jesus' response. Remember, the blind guy is still sitting right there. Verse 3, Jesus responds, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, it doesn't mean that this guy and his parents never sinned in their life because everyone screws up and does stuff uh, and is separated from God, right? What he's saying is this blindness is not the consequence of their sin. In other words, you're thinking about this wrong. Yes, they're screwed up. Everyone has sinned and screwed up. But this is not a punishment for sin. In fact, I'm going to do something with this. So Jesus shifts the conversation. He, He flips their way of thinking. And he says essentially this. Let's not talk about what caused it. Let's talk about the good that can come from it. Let's not spend all of our time trying to figure out why and whose fault and who can we blame. Let's think about what good can come of it. In other words, don't worry about assigning blame, discover purpose. Don't get stuck on why God did or why God didn't or why God uh, didn't in time and hasn't by now. How about we shift the conversation and think about what God still might do? How can God put himself on display in this situation? Don't worry about what caused it and assign blame. That's not the point. Think about what good still might come. Uncover the God mystery that he can bring purpose from pain. Romans says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That he can bring good from any kind of a situation. That he's always bringing glory, attention to himself through problems, through pain, through disasters. He can work even those for the good. And you might say, well, what if I did bring it about on myself? And I know that I did. And it was my stupid behavior that led to this thing, to this disease, to this broken relationship, to this divorce, to this thing. And it is my fault. Even still, God specializes. He's the only one who can do this. He specializes in elevating himself, showing good and grace in the midst of that kind of brokenness. It's what he does. He gets to show and extend grace on you in the middle of that pain. So let's practice saying, regardless of the situation, regardless of the pain, the handicap, regardless of the disappointment, the depression, the discouragement, regardless of what it might be or might have been, God can bring good of this. God can bring good of this. God can bring good of this. Just say it to yourself out loud. God can bring good of this. 
It's a game changer. When you flip and when you shift the focus, God can bring good of this. Verse 6, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So the man that had been sitting there, that was the subject of the disciples' theological debate, now can see. But I want to dig into this story a little bit more and notice, I hope that you noticed, that Jesus spit on the ground in order to heal this guy. And it says that he spit on the ground enough saliva to produce mud and enough mud to cover both eyes. So it wasn't just a tuh. There was throat involved in this spit. He cocked his head back and really went for it and spit into the dirt and created enough mud to cover both of this guy's eyes. And you know the people around thought it was gross. <laughs> They're like, Jesus has gone crazy. He's just taking it to a whole nother level. Does this guy even know what's happening? He must. He can still hear. <laughs> he must know what is happening. Jesus just spit and put spit mud on this guy's blind eyes. Maybe this was the beginning of dads telling their kids when they got hurt, just rub some dirt on it. There's precedence. Jesus heals sometimes with, with dirt. Either way, there's something interesting that I want to make sure that we pick up on here. What is mud when it's purposeful? Clay. Clay. And several times throughout the scriptures, God refers to himself as the potter and humans as the clay. The potter who molds and makes and works the clay, forming it, shaping it, creating from it. Isaiah 45, 9 says, What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong. I found a photo. Imagine God, the potter, you, the clay, shaping, molding, spinning, creating, designing, working. You are a miracle in the hands of a creative God. Your loved ones are miracles spinning on God's wheel. Your kids, miracles. Your marriage, if you're married, a miracle. In the hands of a designer God. And guess what? Miracles are messy. Remember, Jesus spit on the ground, created clay, put it on this guy's eyes. If you look at other Jesus miracles in the scriptures, all the ones that there's detail about are messy. 
Miracles are messy. Life is messy. Life change is messy. Recently, Hillary and I were, uh, we went to a counseling appointment, and we do that on a semi-regular basis, and we were sitting in there, and we wanted to talk with the counselor about a difficult decision that we had made recently and the process that we went through to make it because it was tough. It took us a month to make the decision. Hillary felt strongly in one way. I felt strongly in another way. And we went back and forth. I hurt Hillary's feelings at times. I thought that she was being different or difficult at times. And it took us a month up and down hashing this out before we came to the conclusion that Hillary was right. And... (laughs) So we did that, <laughs> and, and, but, there, but there was some damage along the way over this long, drawn-out process, and so we asked the counselor, we, told, we explained to him the process and the circumstances and how we got there and that we made the decision, we expected him to kind of fine-tune and pick apart and show us where we went wrong and how we could have a better marriage and communication and not hurt each other's feelings. And he looked back at us and he goes, that sounds great. (laughs) He said, that sound, that process sounds fantastic. You guys are doing it. You guys are really doing it. Way to go. And we're like, what? I just told you that her, like she cried during this process. Her feelings were hurt. We, we, it took us a month to get to this conclusion. He goes, I know. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. And then he looked, like with all seriousness and sincerity, he looked at us and he goes, you know, your marriage is a miracle. And miracles are messy. And don't ever expect it, if it's a miracle, not to be messy but you're in it and you're fighting for it and you're persevering through. But never forget, miracles are messy. Jesus' miracles are messy. Miracles in the Old Testament, messy. Think about the people in the family. Think about childbirth for crying out loud. The biggest miracle of life is the biggest mess. (laughs) Miracles are messy. Now, back to our story about the blind guy. Jesus, remember, after he puts the messy, muddy spit clay on the guy's eyes, he's not done yet. He tells him to go walk to a pool called Siloam, which means scent. A blind guy. Now, this pool is outside of the walls of Jerusalem, so I don't care where they were in the city, nobody knows, but we know that it was a hike to get to the pool, blind, and he's finding his way. Now, I, I wonder if Jesus actually healed the guy's eyes the moment that he touched him but that he put the mud clay over them to keep them shut just to see if he would go through with this and walk to the pool. That's just just what I think. And so the guy is walking and stumbling. Jesus, imagine, he grabs his shoulders and he turns them in a direction and he whispers in his ears, it's that way. 
go ahead. And then the guy's, the guy's finding his way. And I bet that he's wondering, I bet he has some moments where he's thinking, this is a joke. I hear the shuffling of other people's feet. I think they're following me, recording this on their iPhones to make fun of me forever. Oh, that sucker. He's wearing Jesus' spit and he's walking to that pool. Poor guy. This is terrible. Jesus is crazy. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. And he's thinking to himself, oh, I remember Courtney who Jesus just touched with his hand on her shoulder and her fever was healed. How come I've got spit on my eyes and I'm walking blind? But then I wonder if some of the mud started to flake away from his eyes and he could see some beams of light. And he started to get optimistic. Like, oh, oh, oh. Something's happening here. And he picked up his pace a little bit. Still, can't see. And he finds his way to the pool. And he jumps into the pool. Remember, Jesus sent him to a pool. And it didn't have a fence around it. So he's stumbling his way into this pool. He wants to get to it as quickly as possible. He throws his face into it, washes this mud off, and he can see. And God is elevated. And the man that was born blind can see. And Jesus did it. And it's a miracle that's talked about. And the word spreads. And this guy's a local celebrity. And Jesus, people begin to whisper, I think he's God. I think he's the deal. The one we've been waiting for. Could it be? Could it be? The Pharisees, the story goes on, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, they get word of this miracle. Maybe some of them were even there witnessing it, and they don't like it. They don't like that Jesus is healing people. They don't like that the masses, thousands, are just flocking to Jesus just to get around him, just to hear everything that he has to say and watch everything that he's doing. They don't like that at all, and they really didn't like that Jesus healed this man on their sacred Sabbath day. You're not supposed to work on the sacred Sabbath day. And these Pharisees had constructed in their mind that healing someone is an act of work. So he shouldn't have done it. And so they're angry and they want to persecute Jesus. And so they pull this no longer blind guy into their presence and they're grilling him. Who was it? Who did this to you? Are you really him? We don't think you're him. We don't think you're the blind guy. We just think you look like him. No, 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 it's me. No, 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 no. Get out of here. We're going to talk to your parents. They bring in his parents. His parents are like, what is this? He's a grown man. Talk to him. And they're like, all right, get out of here. They bring him back in. And they're just grilling him, grilling him. Oh, he can't be. He can't be a, a prophet. He can't be a healer. He can't be. This is all wrong. You're a liar. He goes, look, look, look. I don't, I don't know. Famous line. He goes, I don't know if he's the savior of the world. I don't know if he's the famous prophet. I don't, I don't know if he's who you're afraid that he is. But here's what I know. I was blind. Now I see. I don't know what to tell you. And so they ridicule him and they kick him out of their presence. And then Jesus finds the man a short time later. Verse 35 it says, Jesus heard... They had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe that there's a Savior of the world sent by God, in other words? And the man replies, who is he, sir? 
Tell me so that I may believe in him. In other words, I'm not sure, but you healed my eyes. I'll go with whatever you say. I mean, yeah, I grew up Jewish. I, I, I couldn't see, but I audibly memorized tons of Jewish literature and the scriptures. And I, I, I get kind of the arguments and stuff, but I don't know. I'll listen to you because you healed me. And then Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And like an epic drop the mic moment. <laughs> he is the one speaking to you. I am he. You are looking at him. Wink, wink. By the way, how you like them eyes? <laughs> I am the potter. You are my clay. I'm him. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And then the very next verse in the story is our original perplexer from the beginning. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. The Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? You can just know, you can feel their, their discomfort, their irate. What are we blind to? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. Wow. Wow. And this is really, really important. Because those of you who didn't grow up going to church and you're newer to this thing, the reason, one of the big reasons why you have avoided church or you haven't bought in or you're not sure about Jesus is because of people who are sure that they see. And all of us, the longer that we do this thing, there's a gravitational pull to be like those Pharisees and to be sure that we're right and convince ourselves that we're right. But what Jesus is saying here is that the people he judges are the ones who judge. The people he judges are the ones who think, I see fine, thank you very little. The ones who he came into this world to judge are the ones who think their sight is right. And they think that they are God instead of realizing that they're just like everybody else in desperate need of God. Most incredible statement. Jesus essentially says this. It's better to know you're blind than to know you have sight. It's better to know you're wrong than to know you're right. Let's get even a little bit more personal because this plays out in your and my life constantly. The implications are a little bit scary, but when it comes to other human beings that you interact with that might operate differently than you, think differently than you, see differently than you, have a different way than you, what would it look like for you to embrace this teaching of Jesus 
and a new mantra that I want to invite us to embrace that agrees you are more important than my view. That you are more important than my view. You, spouse, you, family member, you, crazy uncle, you, coworker, you, outrageous person that gets in my face about this issue, you, friend who always feels like I'm judging them, you are more important than my view. The relationship is more important than me being right. I have a friend who used to work at a church, and uh, this church is not in Huntington Beach. It's in a different state. And this church, it's a fairly large church, and it sat right on the thoroughfare of town, this main street in their town. And on this one particular Sunday, the pastors and the leaders were, were was brought to their attention that there was going to be a certain parade that was going to come through town right down their street. And this parade was going to be thousands of people filling the streets and walking this direction. And right when the church was scheduled to get out is when this parade was going to be walking past. And so my friend on staff at this church recounted to me that they made a decision that they were going to encourage all their parishioners, all the people in the church, at the end of the service to exit through the back doors so as not to engage the people on the street because things could get crazy and that would be uncomfortable. After all, it's a very liberal parade and we don't agree with the way that they live and operate was their mentality and this could be really bad and we don't want to see it go bad and we don't want to interact with them at all. So sure enough, the service ended. Everyone files out the back doors, walks around the sides, gets into their cars in the parking lot. A block away, there's another church on the other side of the street whose service got out at the same time. Except for on this Sunday, they finished five minutes sooner. And everyone from the church walked out the main doors and grabbed buckets of water, bottles of water, and they went out to the people in the parade and they handed them water. And they said, we just want you to know that we love you. We just want you to know that we love you. We're sorry for any pain that we may have caused you in the past. People like us, if you view us as judgmental or think that we hate you, we don't. Have some water. Have a great day. We just wanted you to know that we love you. Because you are more important than my view. The person, the relationship, is more important than the structure, than the belief system, than the thing that I am so sure about. If it gets in the way of me acting in love, I'm messed up. It's me who's messed up. Now, I know that that's difficult for some of us because I grew up right Two. I went to, I'm educated. I went to seminary. My interpretations of things are better than yours. I'm really confident in the way things are and life can be black and white. 
I've seen the consequences that go along with that kind of behavior. I know how this plays out. And it's my job to tell you where that heads and where you're going. And I owe it to you and I owe it to God to let you know. And if you won't listen, I'm cutting you off. After all, you're being emotional about this and irrational. You can't see logic and reason. You can't be argued with. So we can't have a relationship. That's one way of doing it. Jesus says, I've come to judge maybe not the people that you think. I've come to judge the ones who stand in judgment, who think that they see everything right. But what if we embraced the way of Jesus, who was the embodiment of love, who said to people just like us, the world will know you are my followers by your love, by your love. What if we said, you are more important than my view? This is, here's the last verse. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. I don't know everything. I don't see things perfectly clear. I have some stuff that I believe and that I think is probably right, but I don't get it right all the time. I don't see things 100% clarity now. I'm just one of these guys who Jesus has turned my shoulders with mud on my eyes and he pointed me in a direction and he whispered, go that way. I'm just trying to walk and follow what Jesus says. But I don't get it right all the time. All I know is that I used to be this way and now Jesus healed me and I'm different and I'm this way. So really all I want is for you to encounter him. That's the game changer. That's what you need. You don't need to think that I'm right and I don't need to win this argument. I just want you to see Jesus. That's what matters because you are more important than my view. And miracles are messy. And I believe somehow you are a miracle. So would you consider this week reaching out to somebody that maybe has been alienated from you because of your view? Maybe someone that you have broken a relationship with. Maybe someone who feels judged by you. Maybe someone who you have intentionally or unintentionally made feel like an outsider. Would you consider extending love and grace to them and just deciding this person's going to be more important than my view of things. I don't need to be right to love this person. I choose love. I choose you. You are more important than my view. And I'm going to make room for the messy miracles because I know that I am a messy miracle. Let that be so.